Spherical cow. Hello there. Welcome to the very first episode of the Spherical Cow podcast with Olivia and Nana. So, we are in year 12 studying A-level physics and both of us find physics super interesting. So, we've created this podcast to discuss interesting physics topics. We hope you enjoy it. So, without further ado, let's get into our first show. Yes. So, Nana, this week's topic is superconductors. Yeah. Um, so let's start off. What are superconductors? Well, a superconductor is a material that can conduct electricity with no resistance. Um, below a certain temperature, known as the critical temperature, materials enter this superconducting state and offer no resistance to the passage of an electrical current. Now, this discovery is really important, isn't it? Um, and it's exciting because its practical applications could save a lot of energy that is usually lost to resistance. Um, I think about 35 elements in the periodic table are known to be superconductive, but unfortunately, most materials must be extremely cold in order to become superconductive. Yeah. However, research is underway um, to develop compounds that become superconductive at higher temperatures, um, as currently the excessive amount of energy that is used in the cooling process makes superconductors inefficient and uneconomical at the moment. Yeah. Um, I've heard about magnetic fields being mentioned around this topic before. What do they have to do with superconductors? Um, that's a really good question. So the transition into the superconducting state is characterised by two basic properties. Okay. Um, firstly, as I've mentioned, the material offers no resistance to the passage of electrical current. And so technically a current can circulate inside the material without any dissipation of, en um, of energy. Right, yeah. Right, and secondly, this is where the ma magnetic fields come in. Okay. Um, um, External magnetic fields will not penetrate the superconductor, okay. um, but will instead be expelled by the material. Okay. And this field expulsion phenomenon is known as the Meissner effect after the physicist who first observed it in 1933. Oh, that's really interesting. So are there different types of superconductors? Yes, there are different types. Um, there are two types, type okay. one and type two. Originally <laughs> yeah, named. <definitely> original. <laughs> um, type one superconductors are generally pure metals, whereas type twos are alloys or complex oxides or ceramics, things okay. like that. Um, type two su superconductors generally have higher critical temperatures and higher critical magnetic fields, um, which means that Type 1 materials only remain in the superconducting state for relatively weak applied magnetic fields. Okay. Um, because above a given threshold, the field abruptly penetrates into the type 1 um, material, destroying the superconductive state. Okay. And Go then ahead. because of this, type 1 superconductors have limited technical applications. But as Nana will talk about later, type 2s have much wider technical applications. Yeah. Um, a key difference between the two types is that type 2 superconductors only partially obey the Meissner effect, oh. whereas type 1s perfectly obey the effect. So they're good. Yes, that is a good thing. So type 2 superconductors um, don't exclude the magnetic field completely, but constrain the magnetic field in its filaments within the material. Um, and it's this property of being able to tolerate that local penetration of the magnetic field, which means that type 2 superconductors are able to remain superconducting even in the presence of much higher external magnetic fields. Yeah, which is why I found that they were really useful in yes, lots of different applications. Yes, definitely. And so um, type 2 superconductors can be used in high magnetic fields, yeah. which has led to the development of magnets of particles, um, accelerators, for example, which Nana will touch on later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So when were these superconductors discovered first? Um, well, the very first observation of the phenomenon of superconductivity was made in 1911 by the physicist Heit Kamaling Onesh. Okay. Yep, so he and his team were studying the properties of matter at very low temperatures, and suddenly he <laughs> discovered that the electrical resistance of mercury goes to zero before full, um, below 4.2 Kelvin. Okay. So that was a pretty shocking discovery. Very, very, very cold as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and in terms of explanations for superconductivity, so classical physics does not adequately explain the superconducting state, and neither does quantum theory, really. Um, but handing over to Naina now... Yeah, thanks, Olivia. So, in fact, it was only in 1957 that three American researchers, John Bardeen, Leon Cooper, and John Schrieffer, established the microscopic theory of superconductivity, which is known as BCS theory after their initials. Ah, after the initials, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this theory satisfactorily explains superconductivity in type 1 superconductors, and it's an explanation at the microscopic level. So, I think we'll go into that now. Yes. So... Before we dive into how superconductivity works, I think it would be a good idea to recap the structure of metals. So, we know that metals are made of lots of positive ions arranged in regular rows, and this forms a lattice structure. Mm -hmm. And because of this lattice structure, that means that those layers of positive ions can slide over one another quite easily. And that's why metals are very malleable. You hear that word being tossed yeah. around. It means they can be easily shaped because those layers can easily slide over one another. Oh, I see. That makes sense. Um, but where are these positive ions coming from? Yeah, so that's a good question. <laughs> it's because, well, metals are elements, as we know, yeah. and that means they're made of atoms. But what actually happens to those atoms is the electrons in the outermost shell of each metal atom inside a metal becomes delocalized. That means the electron becomes free of the atom, it's able to move around on its own. So this creates a layer of positively charged ions and surrounded by like a sea of delocalized electrons. Okay. So you get lots of lots of layers of positive ions arranged in those regular rows I talked about in the lattice structure, surrounded by a sea of delocalized electrons, which are free to just move around. Um, and this is why electricity can flow through a conductor. Because of these really free electrons, they're able to conduct electricity very easily. But it's important to remember that the positive ions are fixed. Fixed. Yes. Do not move. Yeah. But the electrons... Um, encounter some difficulty on oh, their journey. Okay. It, it's not easy. The poor electrons continually collide with the positive metal ions in the lattice. That means that the electrons lose a little bits of their energy to the lattice, which causes the lattice to vibrate faster. So in this way, energy is wasted. That's the dissipation you were talking about earlier. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So the greater the resistance, that means the more energy that's wasted. So you don't want lots of resistance. That's why superconductors no. are so cool. Yes. Um, I've heard the term electron-phonon interactions a lot in relation to this topic of superconductors um, and resistance-wise as well. Yeah. Are these collisions that you've just spoken about those interactions? Yeah, exactly. So electron-phonon interactions are really important when um, explaining how superconductors work. Mm -hmm. But the term can actually be used to just describe normal resistance at room temperature. So okay. Um, we know that resistance is the opposition to the flow of charge in the form of these collisions that I was talking about between the electron and the lattice, which slows down the electron. And we can talk about these um, collisions, the electron colliding with the lattice, um, as electron-phonon interactions. Because when the lattice um, collides with the electron, it's basically like vibrations. It's vibrating lots, okay. which is why we call them phonons, because the phonon is like sound, you know, the root, like the phone yeah, part, yeah, like phonetics. a phone. Yeah, yeah phonetics, okay. yeah, exactly. Um, so 
basically we can talk about them in terms of particles. So we call it electron-phonon interaction because the phonon is basically the particle equivalent of those vibrations which are being propagated by the lattice. I see. So okay. it's like how light is a wave, but yeah. you can also talk about it in terms of photons, which are basically packets or particles of light. I see, yeah. Anyway, back to your electrons <laughs> flowing through the metal structure. So as I mentioned, if the resistance of the metal is high, that means you get more collisions with the electrons, so the electrons are slowed down more, more energy is wasted, and that's why superconductors are so exciting, because the resistance can drop to zero at critical temperature, meaning that electricity can be transferred extremely efficiently with little to no energy losses. That, that's definitely really cool, but what I just don't quite get, Nana, is why the resistance drops to zero? What, what causes that drop? Yeah, okay, that's a really good question. <laughs> so, when the electrons flow through the metal, as they move through the metal, like going in between the lattice structure, they attract the positive ions in its vicinity. So the electron that's moving through the metal will attract positive ions in its vicinity, causing those positive ions to move slightly closer to that electron. Not okay, completely, so they, yeah. because they're in fixed positions, but they sort of lean towards the electron. I see, okay. Um, and that's because opposite charges... Attract! Yeah, <laughs> there we go. So the positive ions have moved slightly away from their normal position and slightly towards that electron. So we say that the lattice has got distorted. It's been slightly distorted. Yeah. Um, so because of that distortion, we can say that there's a greater positive charge density around the first electron. I see, okay. So because of this greater positive charge density, another electron at some distance, say like 100 nanometers, can become attracted to this positive charge distortion because opposite charges... Attract. Yeah, you got it. So effectively, the electrons are now attracted to each other. Okay, I see. Um, but I thought that light charges were supposed to repel, so shouldn't that strong repulsion force still mean the electrons repel each other? Yeah, that's a really good point, but actually it's all about a balance. The electron which is causing the lattice to distort slightly, as I've just described, that's another example of electron-phonon interaction because the electron is interacting with the lattice yep. and causing it to vibrate. So even though, like charges repel, even those electrons, even though those electrons should repel each other, because of those electron-phonon interactions causing there to be like a charge distortion where the lattice gets distorted yeah. and you create a greater positive charge density, um, that is able to overcome those re that repulsive force between the two electrons. So they actually become bound to each other in a state known as a Cooper pair. Oh, I see. So the the distortion of the lattice creates a, uh, like a electromagnetic, <laughs> electromagnetic <laughs> force, which is stronger. So it allows the electrons to overcome their repulsion. Yeah, kind of. I wouldn't say it's creating a force, but it's the electron-phonon um, the electron-phonon interactions mean that the um, ions in the lattice become slightly distorted, so okay. you get a greater positive charge density, which means that so another it, electron is attracted to that, I which see. would be electromagnetic yeah. force. So, so it allows the formation of a Cooper pair, basically. Yes, exactly. Okay, so what exactly is a Cooper pair? <laughs> yeah, this is a tricky question. So all particles in nature can be categorised into two types. You have fermions and you have bosons. So there's another important thing. All particles have this um, quantum mechanical property known as spin. So you can't think of spin in the normal sense, like someone just spinning around. It's slightly different to that, but it's a property that all particles have. It's very important in quantum okay. mechanics. So fermions, that's one of the types of particles I mentioned, they have half integer spin. For example, electrons are fermions and they have spin of a half. Whereas the other type of particles, bosons, they have an integer spin. For example, photons, they're bosons, um, those particles of light I mentioned yeah. earlier, they have a spin of one, which okay. is an integer. So when these electrons join together to form those Cooper pairs I mentioned, um, 
basically what happens is they no longer act like fermions. They act like a boson. Ah, oh, because a half and a half. Yeah. Written into, okay, yeah, exactly. So bosons, unlike electrons, they really like being in the same state as one another. So all the Cooper bears kind of aggregate together. They all form a big huddle, which means that they can just march down the superconductor together okay. or like a, kind of like a big fluid. They kind of just move through the superconductor, um, not feeling any resistance from the lattice. So that's why resistance equals zero, because all these Cooper pairs group together and move with each other through the lattice. Okay, I understand. Um, but why can't these Cooper pairs just form at room temperature? Ah, that's because there's a catch. These Cooper pairs are actually very weak, which means they're easily broken by thermal energy. So okay. when you increase the temperature of a material, that means that the lattice starts vibrating more rapidly because when you give particles energy, they start yeah. moving more. <laughs> like, if I gave you some sweets, you'll probably yeah, be running around the room. <laughs> yeah, so when I increase the temperature, I give the lattice more energy, so the lattice starts vibrating much more, and that causes the Cooper pairs to be disrupted or kind of gets in the way of the Cooper pairs from forming. I so see. that's why you don't get these superconductive properties at room temperature. Like mm -hmm. Olivia said, there's a sudden transition when you reach that critical yeah. temperature. Now the... Um, lattice isn't vibrating too violently and you're able to have lots of Cooper pairs forming and coming together. I see. So that's why type 1 superconductors lose their properties above room temperature. And another way that you can lose the superconducting properties is in a very strong magnetic field, what Olivia mentioned earlier about mm -hmm. type 1s not being able to tolerate these strong magnetic fields yeah. because it actually disrupts the Cooper pairs inside the material. Whereas, I see, okay. Yeah, type 2 works in a slightly different way. Okay. That, that's really interesting. Um, so I'm guessing... Copper is a superconductor because it's such a good conductor at room temperature. Is that the correlation? Well, actually, no. Oh, so okay. We all hear, oh, yeah, copper is the best conductor, but that's actually at room temperature. Okay. So copper actually doesn't become superconductive, and it's because the reason that copper is such a good conductor at room temperature is because those electron-phonon interactions, those um, the electrons colliding with the um, metal ions on the lattice are quite limited. Okay. It's because the electron isn't obstructed as much, they don't collide with the lattice as much, making copper a good conductor. Yes, okay. So they can easily Less flow through the metal. Yes, energy. yes, exactly. Okay. Um, but this is bad, because when you get close to absolute zero, which is where most type 1s have their critical temperature, yeah. the, the lattice is just vibrating so weakly it's just so weak that they're not able to even be attracted by that electron, you know, that lattice oh, okay. distortion. Because they're moving so weakly, they're not able to move slightly towards the other electron because they just don't have enough energy to move slightly. So you don't get those um, positive charge distortions. You don't get another electron being attracted. You don't get those Cooper pairs. I see. So that really good property of... Um, Copper at room temperature. Yeah, it becomes a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, prevents exactly. It from being a superconductor. Yeah, see, okay. I, I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, so that's think, really cool. Yeah, and now Olivia's going to talk about some high temperature superconductors. So superconductors which have their properties at room temperature. So I think we get onto that now. Yes, thanks, Dana. Um, so these past couple of weeks have been really exciting for superconductors um, in current affairs, as a new superconductor was created at, at, at temperatures as high as 15 degrees C. Wow, that's I so know. good. This only happened at the end of October. Okay. Um, and this is almost 30 degrees Celsius warmer than the previous record. So okay. it's really exciting. However, the material has to be squeezed at a, at a pressure of almost 2 million atmospheres. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, that, so that's really high. Um, it's actually equivalent to three quarters of the pressure at the centre of the Earth. Okay. Yeah. So it's very, very, very high. Yeah, very high pressure. And so obviously that means that it will not have any immediate practical applications, but it's still really exciting. So... 
you mentioned that like extremely high pressure. Yeah. Why is that actually needed? Because I thought superconductors were just affected by like temperature. Yes, that's true. But you can also harness high pressure um, to create superconductors. So, oh, for example, okay. high pressure can be used to manipulate the structure of an element to give rise to the superconducting um, pro uh, property. So, okay. for example, if you take an insulating material and then add a lot of pressure, the atoms come closer together right um the conduction and valence bands get closer together and overlap and so that creates a metallic structure so you can uh. form this metallic structure out of what was once an insulator oh that's really cool alternatively high pressure can also be used to encourage the formation of cooper pairs and thus encourage superconductivity as you've just right. explained so that's me. how it links yeah. got it um so yeah as i said this is really high pressure and that means that the material won't have any immediate practical applications. However, physicists hope that it could pave the way for the development of zero-resistance materials that can function at lower, lower, lower pressures. Yeah, so that would be really useful. Yeah. So, you know, these physicists who discovered this new superconductor, yeah. how do they actually do it? Okay. Well, um, the physicist Ranga Diaz and his team, what they did is they placed a mixture of carbon, hydrogen and sulphur between the tips of two diamonds and used a multimeter and probes to measure the current through the sample. So they okay. had um, two probes to measure the current and two probes to read the voltage. Yep. And since we know V equals I R, yeah. <laughs> R could be calculated because they'd measured um, V and I. Yeah. So... Once they'd had this all set up, they started lowering the temperature of the sample of this material, and um, they noticed the resistance to the current dropped to zero. So that okay. indicated that this sample had become superconductive. Yeah. Um, they then repeated this, but increased the pressure which the material was under, and they found that this transition into the superconductive state occurred at higher and higher temperatures as they increased the pressure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and the researchers also found evidence that the material expelled its magnetic field at the transition temperature, which, as we've discussed, yeah. is also another crucial characteristic of a superconductor. Yeah, the Meissner effect. Yeah. And this is really exciting because high-pressure superconductors that are made out of hydrogen and one other element are well understood. Okay. Um, however, studies just cannot explain the exceptionally high superconducting temperatures that have been observed by this research group. So it's a lot of like new discoveries oh, that is really exciting. That's so cool. So yeah. a new door of research. Definitely. Yeah, another I'm sure door's open. Of, yeah, it would be great. Yeah. So does the superconductor have a name? What is um, it made of? Yes, it does actually. It has a name. It's called carbonaceous sulfur hydride. Oh, it just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. Um, and it's full of hydrogen. Okay. Now, I found this quite interesting because I discovered that in recent years, scientists have been focusing on hydrogen-rich materials when trying to create high-temperature superconductors. And okay. I wondered why. Yeah. Um, and it's because... Strong bonds and light elements are the most desirable characteristics when making a superconductor. And, of course, hydrogen is the lightest element. And hydrogen bonds are some of the strongest bonds. Yeah. Okay. So, sorry, I don't get why light elements and strong bonds are desirable. Um, that's, that's a very good question. So, well... High-frequency vibrations in the lattice are the most effective at encouraging Cooper pair formation, um, which obviously, as you said, you need to create a superconductor. Yeah. The low mass of hydrogen atoms, um, because they're such light elements, yeah. makes high-frequency vibrations in the lattice easier to achieve. Okay. So that's why it's a yeah. desirable characteristic. That's good. Um, so although they know what elements are in the material, the scientists were not able to determine the exact atomic structure or the stoichiometry or the ratios of the elements within the material. And this is for two reasons. Okay. Um, one being that as you go to higher pressures, the sample size gets smaller, so it's difficult to take the measurements you need to. 
Okay. Um, and the second is that because the elements in this material are so light relatively compared to all the others you could potentially have, yeah. um, methods which harness X-ray diffraction, such as X-ray crystallography, okay. which are usually used to find out the atomic structure of materials, um, just doesn't work well. And this is because the diffraction is proportional to the number of electrons. I'll just explain that a little bit. So, okay, yeah. Um, in X-ray crystallography, the structure of the material causes a beam of incident X-rays to diffract in many specific directions. Okay. Um, and then by measuring the angles and intensities of these diffracted beams, a three-dimensional picture of the density of electrons can be created. Okay. And then from that electron density, the mean positions of the atoms in the crystal can be determined, as well as their chemical bonds and various other information. Okay. But because there are so few electrons in this material, um, the diffraction, there's not... Not much diffraction occurs, so it's quite oh, hard okay. to build up a picture. But yeah. obviously there's lots of electrons just relative to other yeah, compounds. Yeah, that, Okay, that's, that's really cool. Yep, however, um, future work will focus on describing this material more completely and understanding the ratios of these elements within the material because once that structure is known, chemical tuning can be used to um, change the ratios of the elements. And so there's a chance that you can make a material which is closer to ambient pressure with the same superconducting properties. Oh, and of course, so cool. this is very exciting because just imagine if a room superconductor could be used at atmospheric pressure, yeah. it would just save vast amounts of energy, usually lost to resistance, for example, in the, uh, in the nat national grid and yeah, the electrical yeah. grid. Um, and also it will probably improve current technologies, for example, MRI um, machines, which I think Nana is going to explain a little bit more about now. Yeah, thanks, Olivia. So now on to the applications of superconductors. Um, and as Olivia mentioned, MRI scans actually do use superconductors. Mm -hmm. So MRI stands for Magnetic Resonance Imaging. So obviously you can tell from the name that it has something to do with magnetic fields. Yeah. And in order to produce a very clear image of the like body structure that you're observing, it's really important to have super strong magnetic fields. And that's why superconductors are used. Because we know superconductors have zero resistance when they're below their critical temperature, that means that they can conduct really, really high currents. And if you have a high current, that means you produce a very strong magnetic field. Yeah. So a kind of similar application, again, using those strong magnetic fields, is in nuclear fusion. So um, nuclear fusion is the process where unstable hydrogen nuclei um, collide to produce helium. And this process releases lots of energy. It's actually what happens in the sun. That's why the sun is able to release so much energy. OK. Um, you know the reaction that happens in the sun? Is that the same process that happens in these nuclear fission reactors on Earth? Yeah, I think nuclear fusion, lots of people get confused oh between gosh, that. Oh, gosh, I always get those <laughs> In the nuclear fusion reactors yep, on Earth. <laughs> we've got it. So nuclear fusion reactors use isotopes of hydrogen. So um, hydrogen-1 is one proton, whereas there are other isotopes of hydrogen like deuterium and tritium. Those have one proton and one neutron, and tritium has one proton and two neutrons. Mm -hmm. um, so these are the nuclei that we use on... Um, in nuclear fusion reactors on Earth, and so the deuterium and tritium nuclei collide to produce helium. However, you might be wondering, hang on, the deuterium and tritium, the nuclei are positively charged because they have a proton, so why don't they just repel each other? Mm -hmm. Well, it's because um, you can put the um, particles at such a high temperature that there's enough, they have enough energy to overcome those electrostatic okay. um, repulsive forces. Um, so that's why you need a really high temperature. You need a really high temperature to allow the deuterium and tritium to react with each other. Mm -hmm. However, at such high temperatures, the reactants form 
Okay, drum roll. Drum roll. Okay. A fourth state of matter known as plasma. There's a fourth one? Yeah, there's a fourth state of matter. I had no idea about that. We'll yeah. have to look that up. So, <laughs> those high temperature, um, at these high temperatures, the reactants form a plasma, which is composed of those positive nuclei and then electrons, which are all free. They're delocalized, just moving around. Okay, so, and so plasma is the new fourth state? That yeah, we, okay, yeah, exactly. Plasma is another state of matter. Okay. Um, so plasma is electrically charged because it's got those free electrons and it's got positively mm -hmm. charged nuclei, which means that it can be manipulated by magnetic fields. So you need really strong magnetic fields to manipulate the plasma and keep it all contained so the reactions can happen. And where do these strong magnetic fields come from? You've guessed it, superconducting magnets. <laughs> yeah, got it. Um, are there any other uses? Yes, actually. Um, at the Large Hadron Collider in CERN, um, where particles are smashed into each other at extremely high speeds to see what happens, um, they actually need um, strong magnetic fields because in order to accelerate those particles enough that you get high energy collisions and then mm -hmm. scientists can like investigate what was produced in those collisions, yeah. that's really useful in particle physics. Mm -hmm. You need strong magnetic fields to accelerate yeah. those particles to such great speeds. And again, this is where the superconductors come in. You get, you can produce really strong magnetic fields from superconducting magnets. Okay. And now, maybe the coolest use of superconductors, well, I think, is okay. maglev trains. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry, that was a bit under... What are those? Oh, yeah, okay, sorry. So maglev trains are trains which use magnetic levitating systems, hence the maglev. I see, okay. <laughs> so they're basically trains which use magnetic levitating systems to reach extremely high speeds, which means that it makes travel quicker. Wow, they sound really cool. What countries have maglev trains? Because I don't think I've ever seen one here. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that, actually. The world's first commercial maglev system was actually a maglev shuttle that ran from, any guesses? Um, Vienna? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually Birmingham International Airport to Birmingham International Railway. You're joking, that's literally just near us. Yeah, oh my goodness. so they basically, they had a maglev system, which was um, a shuttle that took you from airport to the railway station. Sadly, it only ran from 1984 to 1995, okay, which is why so you missed that it. boat. Yeah, oh, we missed well. that boat. But there are um, the most famous maglev trains are probably in Japan and South Korea. And I'm going to be talking a bit about the one in Japan that uses an electrodynamic suspension system. Oh, sounds very cool. Mm. How does that work? What is that? Yeah, so this is where our superconducting magnets come in. So basically, you put superconductors um, onto the train, you attach them to the train, and because you have very high currents running through them, as we said, because the resistance is so low, that means that they create a very strong magnetic field. And as the magnetic field um, moves, as the train moves, you get a changing magnetic field because there's relative motion between the train and the like guideway. That's like the track it's moving on. Okay. And because of that, you get a changing magnetic field, which you might remember from GCSE means we induce a current. Yeah. So we induce a current inside the metallic conductors, which are contained inside the concrete track. Um, okay. And what that means is um, you get a current inside those conductors. And now those conductors produce their own magnetic field. Right, OK. And what that magnetic field does, it interacts with the already um, the magnetic field being produced by those superconductors on the train. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you get like a repulsive force pushing the train forward, but an attractive force pulling it towards the like wherever it's going. Okay. So it's kind of like uses 
repulsion and attraction. It's to do with how the conductors must be orientated inside the guideway. But yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, so the trains are actually like levitating mm. off the ground. Yeah, exactly. They're slightly off the ground and they're quite futuristic. That's quite cool. Yeah, <laughs> and it's actually really good because if the train goes slightly off where it's meant to be, because yeah. of those magnets, the way they interact will just push it back on its course Whoa. because like the That's repulsion amazing. and the attraction will just sort itself out. So it's a it's a good system. It yeah. has it's very stable. So that's, that's really why I think good. That is so interesting. I yeah. love hearing about applications. That yeah. Well, that concludes our very first episode of the Spherical Cow podcast. Yep, we hope you enjoyed it and we hope to see you again soon. Yes, and we'll say goodbye with a superconductor song. Yeah, we <laughs> hope you enjoy it. Superconductors are pretty cool. You don't learn about them much when you're at school. So we hope you enjoyed our podcast today. Here's a short summary in a musical way. Oh, superconductors have a critical temperature At this point or below they are the better competitor Electrical resistance just, just goes away So enormous currents can be produced all day The critical temperature's close to absolute zero So that makes superconductors a bit less of a hero Since they only work when they're extremely cold Superconductors aren't commonly bought and sold. However, in places where they can be bought and kept cold, they are really quite useful and I'm not being bold. Due to superconducting magnets, there's a force to keep all the particles in CERN on their course. Oh, superconductors have a critical temperature. At this point or below, they are the better competitor. Electrical resistance just goes away, so enormous currents can be produced all day.